Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. And ladies and gentlemen, here comes this little bitty old man with a long white beard, kind of hobbling along on a cane, and underneath his left arm is that great big volume of all the historical facts that he's written about over the many, many years. Here is Dr. History. Well, you're right about the beard getting white. <laughs> I know from experience, my, mine is too. <laughs> oh, well, what the heck. <laughs> we can always hire out in December to be a Santa Claus someplace at a store. <laughs> I won't let it get that long. Oh, okay. How you doing anyway? I'm doing great, doing great. Well, good. Now, last week we had a very interesting topic. You have never let me down on this show. I mean, all the way from, good heavens, naked mountain men all the way to somebody blasting a horse or whatever, you know, you're always having something interesting. What do we got this week? Okay, I'm going to talk about a guy that nobody's ever heard about. Oh, this is history at its best. (laughs) This guy's name is Hank Vaughn. Now, I'm going to do a little uh, preface to him, and at that point, we can probably do that break that you want to do. Okay, sounds good. Okay, well... Uh, you know, sudden shootouts between men with uh, itchy trigger, trigger fingers were was not a rare occurrence in the 19th century, you know, the frontier towns of, uh, all over. But arguments during card games, business deals gone bad, or just plain grudges were all part of the mix. And weapons were as common, obviously, as horses and cowboy hats in those days. And they kind of favored the Sharps repeating rifle or the 45 caliber Colt. Uh, the Navy model or the 44 Cal, uh, Colt Dra- Dragoon, which was obviously a heavy gun. It was a four-pound cannon, basically. You could pretty well stop anything in this track. If you could hit it. What's that? If you could hit it. <laughs> you could hold it up, I guess. Have you ever shot one of those guns? I never have. I have, and I'll tell you what, it's amazing to me that anybody ever got shot in the Old West. (laughs) (laughs) Except maybe in the foot. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Well, when tempers flared among men, packing six shooters, you know, gunshots were often followed. So, now sometimes the gunfights were fair, and sometimes they weren't. Either way, they usually happened to be on the spur of the moment, fast, up close, personal. Now, sometimes an armed man would shoot an unarmed man, and, and there was always the black art of the good old bushwhack. And the law's response to gunplay was kind of varied as well, as we know. Uh, the survivor of a gun duel might find himself under arrest and in the local jail awaiting trial. If he could prove it was self-defense, he'd probably get released. Now, if not, uh, a cell in the state penitentiary would probably be his destination. Now, on the other hand, if the deceased happened to have a lot of friends in town, well, a vigilante committee might just pay the jail a little visit and with a little rope a little conveniently located tree. They would take care of the whole business by itself, not wasting the government any money on trials. Now, on the other hand, in some of the wilder towns and mining camps, nobody really cared who shot who. Mm. <laughs> no, 
investors, no big deal. So you mean and, that if, if you and I were walking down the street in those old mining towns and somebody didn't like us and they either hit us with a shovel or pulled out one of those great big uh, cannon pockets, uh, that might be the end of us and nobody care. No, no. I mean, we're just, you know, we're just a couple of nobodies. So, I mean, there's plenty of examples of shootings in frontier towns. Like, like over in Burns, Oregon, uh, that was kind of a center for a lot of gunplay. Mm. Uh, there was a saloon owner from there that got, uh, he was shot and killed over a dispute, over a horse race. Uh, and then if personal relationships weren't enough, uh, being an employer wasn't exactly the best way to be. There was a miner named William Kane. He shot his boss, boss to death dumped his body in a sluice box it floated downstream and what got him so agitated was that on payday he found himself being handed paper money instead of gold dust well he was arrested tried for murder convicted and he was hung so now one of the more uh, famous oregon frontier uh, shootings uh, was the murder of a guy named peter french and he was the overseer of one overseer of one of the state's largest cattle empires now, in the process of gaining control, he'd made uh, quite a few enemies among his neighbors, and he was known to fence off public uh, domain lands and illegally acquire other property. Well, in 1897, French was directing a cattle drive on his property when uh, a homesteader by the name of Ed Oliver came riding up to him at high speed. Oliver reined in his horse near French's, and they crashed the two animals into each other. The homesteader drew his revolver, shot the cattle baron in the head, and then turned and galloped off, leaving this guy laying dead. Hmm. And now, all of that was because uh, he forgot to bring back his lawnmower. <laughs> he forgot. Can you imagine? So, now, vigilanteism could sometimes work in your favor. Now, this guy, Oliver, that shot French, he was initially charged with murder. It was later reduced to manslaughter. At the trial, it took the sympathetic uh, jury barely three hours to find Oliver not guilty. Mm. So, you know, sometimes the vigilantes were your buddies, they mm -hmm. were your friends. Yeah. Now, while most shootings tended to be a one-time event, there were a few people that kind of made a habit out of it. And that's where we're going to take a look at this guy named Hank Vaughn. Well, his career was kind of a mix of gunplay, murder, livestock rustling, uh, occasional bounce of actually what seemed like pretty good citizenship. So he's kind of one of those good-bad mixes. Mm -hmm. Well, he was born in 1849. His family farmed and ranched. And anyway, the clan eventually moved out to a place called Canyon City in the Blue Mountains in gold country where they supplied cattle to feed the hungry miners. Okay. And it was here in 1864 that Vaughn, who is now 15 years old, shot his first man. Mm. 15 years old. Uh, anyway, so the shooting involved a miner who actually bought a horse from Vaughn but couldn't come up with the full agreed-upon price. Now, observers say that at the scene they saw the two arguing. The next moment, Vaughn, perhaps a little encouraged by alcohol, again at age 15, uh, went for his gun and shot uh, this guy dead. Wow. That was his first, uh, first uh, encounter. Well, you know, the gold camps of that era, era were pretty rough places. And, I mean, shootings and fistfights were pretty regular occurrences. And since this place he was at was no exception, no one really cared if there was one less miner around. Hmm. And so Vaughn just went about his business as if nothing had happened. So, uh, anyway, Vaughn's horse stealing and cattle rustling seemed to be his favorite thing. He, uh, these habits kind of got him into his first real trouble. Uh, he and a friend of his named Dick Bunton had stolen some horses, and they were herding them over to Idaho to sell. Well, 
unknown to the two horse thieves, there was a sheriff by the name of Maddock and his deputy named Hart, and they had been on their trail. Now, locating the horse thieves' camp, the two lawmen sat tight under the until the hour was late, and assuring themselves that Vaughn and Bunton were asleep, they quietly stole into camp under cover of darkness, and approaching the tent carefully with their revolvers drawn, uh, the sheriff suddenly called out to the two sleepers that the law had the drop on them and to come out with their hands up. Oh, boy, this is where the plot thickens. <laughs> it's a little thicker here. Well, they came out all right, <laughs> shooting as fast as they could shoot. Well, uh, Vaughn shot the deputy sheriff. The deputy killed him right off the bat. And Vaughn's buddy, Bent Button, he fell dead from the sheriff's gunfire. Now it was just uh, Vaughn and the sheriff fighting and shooting at each other. Mm. Well, one of Vaughn's bullets went through uh, the sheriff's cheek, just as Vaughn was hit from the sheriff's return fire. Well, swinging the butt of his gun, Vaughn connected with the sheriff's head and put him out cold. Wait a minute. How close were these guys if they're going to swing a rifle? I mean, are they shooting and missing from two feet away? What's going on here? They're, they're close. I mean, well, duh. Keep in mind, it's dark. So. <laughs> well, yeah, all the more reason not to stand out in the middle of the lawn. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And the, the amazing thing is the sheriff survived the incident. And not without a little facial disfigurement, but, uh, you know, like I say, he got shot in the cheek. Well, Vaughn, he galloped off into the night, but he'd been wounded. So he was traveling slowly because of his wound, and he was easily captured by the posse. Uh Well, he was charged with murder and theft. He was sentenced to life in prison. And while in the jailhouse, a crowd of vigilantes gathered outside with a mind to change the sentence to... uh, death by hanging hmm. now fortunately for Vaughn there were apparently some people present who were able to calm down the mob and they left so anyway Vaughn was taken to the Oregon State Penitentiary and because he was such a good guy he was paroled at the age of 21 a so good guy 20- what's that you say he was such a good guy oh yeah he, he got off because of good behavior oh boy <laughs> And, you know, I think it's pretty easy to be good while you're in jail. Mm-hmm. Just, just a guess. So, anyway, after his release, Vaughn wandered down to Nevada. He worked as a blacksmith. He drove the family cattle herd to sell to miners. And he may have also been involved in some uh, uh, illegal activities during his Nevada residency. Anyway, he eventually uh, returned to Oregon in 1878. He worked with some partners named Moody and Hewlett in the horse trading business. And I use that term loosely. They typically traded in a mix of legal and illegally obtained animals. And the method of choice uh, was just ride out on the range and find any, uh, uh, you know, stray stray horses or cows. And, uh, of course, the odds of getting caught were small. And they did have some close calls. And while corralling some stolen horses one day, uh, Vaughn and his buddy Moody were set upon by a vigilante committee. And uh, but they managed to get away. Uh, anyway, they sold their, st- their stock to miners in Oregon and Idaho. And anyway, Hank Vaughn eventually wandered into a town called Prineville, Oregon. Oh, been there many that? times. Been there a thousand times. Okay, I'd never heard of that. But uh, anyway, he got into gambling and got, did a lot of heavy drinking. And it was here that he got into a kind of a famous shootout. Uh, Hank Vaughn had stopped at a saloon to have a few drinks. He got into a card game with a guy named Charlie Long, mm-hmm. who was also a gunfighter and also a member of the vigilante group. Well, Vaughn and Long played cards, talked and drank, and eventually they got into a serious argument about which one of them was quicker and deadlier, 
with the six-shooter. Mm, this is and not good. came to a challenge. Mm-hmm. Now, this is where the TV version steps in. I see. Okay? Vaughn and Long laid their cards down, pushed their chairs back from the table, just like you see on TV. The two men each grabbed... Now, this is where you don't see on TV. Okay, the two men each grabbed one end of a long bandana with their left hand, then drew their pistols and began shooting. Began shooting? <laughs> right. Now, at such a close range, you know that every shot's going to hit somewhere. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, so Long pulled the trigger first. The, his slug uh, hit Vaughn's scalp. Long shot again. This time he hit Vaughn in the left chest above his heart. Well, when the smoke cleared, both were wounded. <laughs> Miraculously, not fatally. Oh, wait a minute. Both of them survived. Stop just for a second. This is time <laughs> for a commercial, but I don't have one. I've got a question. You okay. mean to tell a bandana when it's stretched out, maybe you're going to get one of those big, long buckaroo bandanas that maybe is going to be three feet in length. Now, these guys pulled out their great big uh, pocket cannons, and they started going boom, boom at each other at three feet apart, and they wounded each other? <laughs> they wounded. I, I'm thinking they were probably jerking back and forth and dancing around it. You think? <laughs> so, yeah, so they both recovered. Uh, however, you know, Vaughn was not a well-liked guy. Well, imagine life. that. <laughs> and word traveled fast about that shootout. In fact, uh, two of the newspapers reported that he had died in this, and they, in the uh, obituary, they expressed that there was no real regret at the fact that he died. Well, Vaughn wasn't real happy with the newspapers, and, uh, he went and told himself. But uh, anyway, one of his favorite pranks was to randomly pick out somebody in the saloon and invite them to dance for the crowd by shooting at the unfortunate guy's feet. This okay. guy was really not real bright. He was always yeah. doing something that's going to get him laid out in a pine box. Yeah, yeah. And so he did have a little trouble with one of his practical jokes. There's a guy named Bill Falwell, and he wasn't going to dance. And he told Vaughn that I'm not going to do it. Well, that was a mistake on Falwell's part. So Vaughn began shooting, and sure enough, Falwell started dancing uh -huh. uh, for the people. But uh, now it was Falwell's move. He went down the street, traded his horse for a 50 caliber rifle, and the next day he went looking for Hank Vaughn. Oh, boy. Well, Falwell found him, and without a word, Falwell began shooting. He hit Va Vaughn in the chest and the right arm. Vaughn died for cover. Falwell kept firing until all six shots were gone, and... Left Vaughn wounded and bleeding. Well, you're not going to believe this. Vaughn recovered from his wounds. Wait a minute. Now, this guy's been shot 97 times. <laughs> and he's still alive. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds like now, a Cisco Kid done. rerun. <laughs> we're, we're getting to the end here. <laughs> Vaughn likes to ride fast. So shooting up local landmarks and riding his horse into saloons was one of his favorite things. And Now, one of the things he did do good, he was on a train one time. When robbers burst into the passenger car, well, Vaughn drew his revolver and began shooting. He killed one of the bandits and drove the others off. Gosh, now, that was my, nice of him. <laughs> that was good of you. Uh, now, another good thing or interesting thing here, uh, Vaughn was married, uh, and you might wonder about that, And but that wasn't quite enough. He decided he wanted a second wife, so uh, he took a Native American woman to wife, and... She just happened to have uh, a lot of money. Uh -huh. I see. Uh, and I'm sure that had nothing to do with why he married her. Uh, but he set up a very successful ranch, but uh, he also continued his semi-legal horse trading. I see. 
Well, okay, we're coming to the end. I can uh, see he's coming to the end. In kind of a surprising manner. One day, he got on his horse, dressed in his chaps, a little under the uh, influence, galloped wildly through downtown Pendleton, Oregon. The horse stumbled, slammed him into the ground. Well, bleeding and severely injured, uh, his internal origin, uh, injuries were mortal. He died, uh, one of the last of the old-time gunfighters. Uh, he, his body was scarred with 13 bullet wounds, Holy and he was God. buried outside of Pendleton, Oregon. Frank Vaughn, or Hank Vaughn. Hank. You know, now, I am going to be going up to Pendleton in the not too many more days, and where is he supposedly at his eternal resting place? Okay, there's a cemetery, cemetery called the Olney, Olney Cemetery, O-L-N-E-Y, uh-huh. Cemetery, and okay. it says outside of Pendleton, so I, I don't know how far that is. Well, I'm going to find out, and uh, I, I would imagine with as many holes as he died with, 13 bullet holes, they probably got him buried here and a little bit over here and some over there. And, uh, how the mortician managed to get him embalmed. Holy cow. Yeah, but I mean, my goodness, 13 bullet holes in him, and yeah. then he dies in a horse accident. Yeah. Uh, June of 1893 is when he died. Wow. June 15th. He didn't sound like uh, he was one of your real good citizens. <laughs> well, he did help the people on the train, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, and he did help the uh, economy by buying and selling horses well, and cows. What happened to his family? Did he have any children or anything? You know, it, it doesn't say anything about family or yeah. kids. Uh, it does, uh, early I didn't mention it, that he had gotten married, but uh, he married a... Uh, a sister of the McCartys. Now, the McCartys were uh, uh, kind of an outlaw family. Mm-hmm. And, uh, anyway, he married their sister Lois McCarty. I see. And that's that's really all it ever says. So, about. how old was he when he had that uh, wreck up in Pendleton? Well, let's see. He was born. He was 15 when he started all this mess. Yeah, he was born in 1849. Oh, my goodness. So, let's see. So, rounded off at 1850, and what do you got? What year did he pass away? 1893? So, 43, 45. Oh, man, that's young. Well, it is, you know, but considering how many close calls you had with, with Beth, or 44, I guess. Yeah, he was. wow. So, he so, was one of the last real shoot 'em up guys of the Old West, huh? Yeah, this is, like I said, there's, it's, to me it's kind of fun to find guys that were probably as bad or worse than like Jesse James and and uh, some of those other guys that nobody knows about. Yeah, my goodness. I'd never heard of that guy before. Yeah, well, you know, they don't make movies about a guy named Hank Vaughn. Yeah, it just doesn't have the passion to it at all. I mean, Hank Vaughn, you know, you got to have some of Jesse James. Yeah, if it was Crooked Nose Vaughn or... Yeah. or Three-toed Vaughn, or I don't know. Yeah, big nose Kate, and all those, you know. Yeah, you know, yeah. then it might have got a little attention, but Hank well, Vaughn, you know. Well, that was an interesting story, but basically, yeah, you never been to Prineville, huh? I never have. Is that where's that at? Prineville's right in Central or? Oregon, and it happens to be the home headquarters for the Les Schwab Tire Centers. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, yeah. wonderful people. That. I used to do that. The rodeo there, I did for about 14, 15 years, the Crooked River Roundup in Prineville. Oh, okay. Yep. And there's a lot of history up there. Oh, there's a lot of wild desperados in that area. <laughs> 
Well, this book that I picked up when I was over in Oregon is called Outlaw Tales of Oregon. Uh-huh. So this is pretty much uh, true stories about the crooks, the culprits, the cutthroats, the guys like that. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.